Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. Thank you guys very much. Blessings to you, your families, and to this church in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you all tonight, a privilege for sure. Uh, Glad to look at the Word of God with you. uh, As John highlighted, uh, I've been the pastor here at the Faith Church for about four years, been in ministry for 20 plus years, doing various kinds of ministry, youth ministry, congregational care, caring for seniors, and now trying by God's grace to help lead a church under His authority. And uh, and uh, I got to know Blake a little bit prior to your all's arrival at the church uh, through the Sarasota Pregnancy Center. We were trying to make efforts to be involved in that ministry, and I know Danielle serves in that ministry as well. So um, I'm thankful for Blake and John and your leadership, and uh, glad you all are among us tonight. Uh, you know, what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be looking at Psalm 118. So if you're so inclined, let me invite you to open up your Bible says Psalm 118, otherwise it'll be up there on the screen for you. It's actually a perfect transition from what you all, what we just sang about. We just sang about the reckless love of God, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God and the goodness of God to us. And that, in fact, is the very thing that is highlighted uh, predominantly in this very psalm. And so as Christians, we should be getting revved up right now in our spirits. We should be getting really excited with a sense of anticipation for what's coming because next week, next weekend marks Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of Holy Week, which leads up to the culmination of Easter, which is the most glorious celebration, the most glorious day of the year for us as believers in Jesus Christ the most important day of the year. And that's why I picked this particular text tonight of Psalm 118. We will see that thematically and historically it ties very closely to the events of that original Palm Sunday. I want to provide a quick context. It is part of what is considered to be among scholars the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. It's a fancy word, but simply it meant that these were songs that were sung during the Passover that were particularly used during times of celebration and festivals. Well, anytime that we worship God, it should be a time of celebration and excitement and enthusiasm. And this psalm was part of that for the original people of God. And it served as a reminder to Israel of God's deliverance of his people, in particular for them, their bondage to Egypt. So hear and receive now God's word from Psalm 118, beginning in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. 
All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever and ever. Amen and amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, your unending, overwhelming, reckless love for us. Lord, we pray that now by your spirit, you would help us to understand these realities afresh with greater understanding so that we would be moved in our spirit with greater love for you, greater love for your people, and greater obedience to your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we look at the psalm, we break it down. The first and the last verse are identical word for word. They're bookends. The beginning and the end are bookends. They are reinforcing the theme. They are setting the tone of this message, and it is a glorious message. It is a message that is filled with celebration. And the expectation, the prevailing message, if we take nothing else away, is, is that we are to give thanks to the Lord. To give thanks to the Lord at all times. And as such, it's considered to be a song of thanksgiving. Well, in times of struggle, we can find it difficult to do that very thing. We can find it difficult to want to give thanks to the Lord. So, but what enables us to, enable, to maintain this attitude of gratitude through all the ups and downs of life is to continue to acknowledge and to reflect upon the character of the Lord, this unchanging character of the Lord. Because the Lord is always worthy of our thankfulness. And specifically, the psalmist hones in on two specific attributes of the Lord. His goodness and his steadfast love. His goodness and steadfast love are what he hangs on to in the midst of the circumstances that he was facing. And we find in verses 2 through 4 that these biblical truths about the Lord were realities that were intended to be celebrated together. That, we were to, that they were to be committed to reminding one another, much as we are as well. We see a corporate aspect to our faith. We see an identification of groups among the people. He highlights Israel 
He says that Israel is acknowledging the faithfulness of the Lord and the steadfast love of the Lord. And then he goes on from there to make a reference to the house of Aaron. Well, that's pointing to the priesthood, to the worship leaders of the group. And then he speaks to all believers. He says, all of those who fear the Lord are to test, give testimony to the steadfast love of the Lord. So in a sense, what we have here is a back and forth refrain, a responsive refrain to one another, reminding one another, proclaiming of the beauty of the love of God to one another. What is the writer telling us is that we have no hope of staying faithful to worshiping and serving the Lord on our own. We need one another just as much as we need the Lord, that we are called to, to be bound together in our love for the Lord and for one another. We as Christians, if we truly understood how important it is to be among the people of God, we would see the attendance of church escalate immeasurably. We would see the involvement in the life of the church increase abundantly. We would imagine as we've gone through this pandemic, we have a greater understanding of how important it is to be among the people of God, giving testimony to the love of God for us. And I know I'm preaching to a choir in a sense here tonight because you all brave the elements tonight. We don't know what kind of deluge is going to be greeting us when we leave this place, but you came because you understood that God is among us and it is important to be among one another, proclaiming the excellencies of God and his steadfast love among us. And this is not the only place in scripture that we see this kind of repetition. If you were to look at Psalm 136, it actually says that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, not once, not twice, but 26 times in the course of one psalm. Why would these psalmists feel the need to do this? They know that we have a memory problem. Fundamentally, we have a memory breakdown in our psyches. And we can be very forgetful when it comes to matters pertaining to our relationship with the Lord or to his goodness or to his faithfulness. And our greatest memory blocks come in the darkest times of our lives. And that was the context. When this glorious psalm was written, it was written in very dark circumstances. It speculated that in this certain circumstances, the people of God were right now living in exile. They were in Babylon. They were without the comforts of having a home. They were without the comforts of experiencing peace or freedom or their own land that they could call their own. And then on top of that, this writer speaks of his own personal trials. He looks at his own, the severity of what he's experienced, his own attack. Look at verses 10 through 13, this language of being attacked. He says, I was surrounded on every side by my enemies. He said, and then he goes on to say that there are attacks. He uses figurative language and he says, it's like the stinging of bees. It's like the burning of fire. Maybe you guys can relate to some of these things. We've experienced loss at various points in our lives. We've experienced that heartache and that pain. We've felt like we've come to points in our lives where we have probably felt like we are under attack and that this attack is constant. It's unending and very painful. And in light of what these guys were going through, it's amazing to see that the psalm is filled with a tone of victory, a tone of celebration. And so here's what the psalmist did to be able to orient his thinking in the midst of his trials. One of the ways that we can remain grateful in the midst of the trials is to remember, oh yeah, I've been here before. This is not the first time that I have suffered in my life. And we can look back at previous times where we have suffered and we've gone through trials and we can say, oh yes, 
God was with me in those trials. And God saw fit to show his goodness and his faithfulness in the midst of those trials. And he's brought, me, brought us out of those trials. And that's what the psalmist highlights. The psalmist speaks to that very fact. Even as he's talking about being surrounded on all sides and the attacks being like bees and like fire, he three times points to the power of the Lord in his life. He says, in the name of the Lord, I cut it off. He doesn't give any credit to himself for it, but he says it was by God's power that he experienced deliverance from that particular trial. Now, how does God know if we're thankful? Well, there's lots of ways that God... We can show our gratitude to God. One is to gather together and to worship Him and to sing His praises. That's certainly one aspect. Another aspect is obedience. But yet another aspect that is highlighted in the psalm is that if we're truly grateful to the Lord for His goodness and His steadfast love, that we are going to be willing to give up what we default to. So often when we go through hard times and trials, we turn to other things for peace and for comfort and for hope rather than the Lord. And the reason that we, we should not do that is all the things that we could possibly turn to are inferior to the greatness of the Lord. The Lord is greater than all of our idols in every regard. And so the psalmist highlights one in particular. Verses 8 and 9. Put not your trust in princes. Put not your trust in men. What is he highlighting there? We have a tendency when we're going through hardships to depend Un, in an unhealthy measure to people, to our relationships, the people in our lives, or perhaps to people who are charismatic, people who are dynamic, people who potentially maybe have a lot of money or a lot of fame, or maybe those who are in authority and positions of power. What the psalmist is telling us, we cannot look for human solutions to what ultimately for us boils down to spiritual problems. Every problem that we have is ultimately a spiritual problem. So we are not to look for human solutions. And whatever we find, a kind of fix that we find by turning to the things of this world is only going to be temporary in nature. So it's foolishness. It's folly to turn to the things of this world. Instead, we're called to do what the psalmist does in verse 5. What does he say in verse 5? He says, out of my distress. He acknowledges his distress. Out of my distress... I cried out to the Lord. He clung to the Lord. Why did he do that? And in so doing, what he came to find, when he cried out to the Lord and he clung to the Lord, he found out that the Lord is sufficient to be our helper, that the Lord will always bring the help that we need, no matter how overwhelming the circumstances and the trials that we face. And that can even be to the point where we are on our knees begging for his mercy, begging for his help. When we are, feel like we are at our ultimate breaking point, this psalmist was at his breaking point. Verse 13, I was pushed hard. I was falling down. I was at the point of falling. But then he says, but the Lord helped me. The Lord helped me. And regardless of whether we experience the kind of deliverance and the help that we are looking for in the midst of the trials that we're going through, we can trust the Lord no matter what. We can find comfort in Him knowing that He has provided us with the greatest possible deliverance that He could ever give us, greater than any possible circumstance that we'll ever face. And that brings us to the point, the tie between why I wanted to look at Psalm 118 as we anticipate the realities of Easter. When we look at verses 25 and 26, they highlight, they hint at this ultimate deliverance that God provides. It's these very verses which connect the psalm to the events that took place on Palm Sunday. 
What does verse 26 say? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know who heard those words proclaimed and shouted from the rooftops? It was Jesus himself. As he was entering into Jerusalem for the very final time, just days before his arrest and his trial and ultimately his death, he was hearing shouted to him. Being, people were greeting him with these words, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was not a surprise that he was hearing these words. These were words that were used at the celebration of Passover. And so Jesus, who never saw any kind of accolades or praise or any kind of publicity, upon his arrival, he was receiving all this fanfare and excitement. And along with these words of blessings, he heard these also shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. What were the people asking for? They were crying out to Jesus. They were pleading with the Lord, asking him to intervene, asking him to save them. Just as the psalmist himself in, in verse 25 pleads with the Lord and prays the Lord to save us. And so historically speaking, it makes sense that they would choose to quote from this psalm. It made sense in every regard. And it was common for this psalm to be highlighted on processionals and parades, just like Jesus was, was parading, riding on this lowly colt of a donkey. Riding on this donkey. It made sense. Now, the degree to which this crowd understood the full ramifications of what they were proclaiming, there was absolute truth to what they were saying. That they should have been saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because Jesus did come in the name of the Lord. And they should have been crying out Hosanna to him. But they did not clearly understand the full extent of what they meant by that. Because just a few days later, they were willing to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They were looking for a physical deliverance. They were looking for a release from bondage from Roman rule. They were doing the very thing that the psalmist warned against. They were looking for human solutions to human problems. And when Jesus was not able to meet their standards of what they were expecting, they were willing to turn against him without a second thought. And in so doing, they missed the bigger picture, the more glorious picture, the picture of salvation that Jesus came to accomplish, the one that he would accomplish on a much larger scale than simply relief from Roman rule, simply relief from oppression. Because in his apparent defeat, Jesus would provide victory over bondage of a different kind, over spiritual bondage, over sin, over guilt, over shame, over death itself. And that's the greatest form of deliverance that can ever be achieved for mankind. And so the psalmist foreshadowed those very events. Verse 22, I heard you all say amen when this verse was read. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. When was Jesus rejected? Jesus' rejection was, resulted in his death, his death on the cross. But even in his being rejected, it did not stop him from accomplishing his purposes. In fact, it was part of his plan from the very beginning. He intended to be rejected. He intended to die because he knew it was necessary. 
And then we're moving to the end here, the application of all of this. As we've contemplated the fact that we are called to give thanks to the Lord at all times, and we are to, to trust in Him as our hope and our help in all times. It's in light of Jesus' death for our sins, followed by His resurrection from death, that we can join the psalmist's testimony. Here's the impact of what He accomplished. What does it say in verse 6? He says in verse 6, with great confidence and great assurance, I know the Lord is on my side. We too can say the very same thing. The Lord is on our side. Even when it seems like everything else is going against us, the Lord remains on our side. And so in the grand scheme, whatever damage or harm may come our way, whatever may befall us, no matter how terrible it is, it can be rendered ultimately inconsequential. And that's the very thing that the psalmist says, too, in verse 6. What is it that man can do to me? Man can do nothing to me. We can, we can stop there. What is it that debt can do to me? What is it that sickness can do to me? What is it that hatred against me can do to me? The answer is nothing. And that's because of what Jesus has accomplished. And sure enough, Paul grasped these words. He clung to these words. Romans 8, you guys are going through the Roman series with Blake. In fact, recently, I think you went through Romans 8. What does he say in verse 31? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he, gives you, he goes, in case you're wondering and in case you're doubting that God may possibly be for you because you're going through hard times, he gives you the proof. If God is for us, who can be against us? Because he who gave his own son, who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the proof that God is for us no matter what. Because Jesus, because the Lord saw fit to give up his greatest gift, his very own son, to die a very painful death for our sins so that we can become his people. And because of that, Paul moves on to going through a litany of bad stuff. He goes, what can separate us from the love of God? Tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? And he goes to the conclusion, no, none of these things can separate from the love of God. He gives testimony to the steadfast, enduring love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because of Christ Jesus. And in so doing, Paul could have written Psalm 118. They, their voice joins together in this glorious testimony to how good God is and how steadfast his love is. And as a result, we have no reason to be afraid of, for any reason at all. He grants us great freedom in the midst of our pain and then beyond. And along those lines, the reason why we can know for certain that the Lord is going to remain on our side and his love for us is going to continue throughout the course of our lives and beyond that is because it's not based on anything that we have done. It's not based on our performance. And there's great freedom in that. There's great um, relief in that. That our status with God is fixed because it is determined solely by the fullness and the finality of the work of Jesus and what he has accomplished. And according to verse 22, what the psalmist is saying, look, Israel has been rejected by the nations, but God is still going to use Israel for his purposes. He's still going to bring a glorious work to bear through the, the formation of a new people. And we are the, the, the result of that. We are part of the formation of the new people that came through the rejection of Jesus. That through his death and through his resurrection that he has established a foundation for a new beginning. A church. And that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We have that firm foundation of that truth.
And it's on that basis that we can come before the Lord without guilt, without shame, and to be so bold as to come before him and give testimony to what the psalmist says in verses 19 and 20. Look at how bold he is with the Lord. He says to him, open to us, open to us the gates that we may enter in and have access to the Lord and give him thanks. He's saying, open up the doors, Lord, receive me in. Why can he do that? He can do that because he bases his his standing with God, not on his own record of, of merit. He bases it only on the standing of Jesus's righteousness and the understanding that Jesus's righteousness is credited to us so that we are now counted as righteous in his sight, that we are as blameless in God's eyes as Jesus himself, that we are as holy in his sight as Jesus himself. And therefore we are qualified to be in his presence, that we are counted as righteous and that salvation is completely the work of the Lord from beginning to end. That's the testimony of verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And that's what worship of God is all about, is testimony how marvelous God is and how marvelous his works are. And so as a final statement, as we wrap up, I'm going to make reference to the most well-known probably of all the verses of this psalm that is a glorious psalm. But verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There's an application to take home with us, that we are called, in fact, rather than allowing the challenges and the threats that face us to, to bring us to despair, we are called to rejoice and to be glad, not only today, but every day of our lives, not only on the good days of our lives, but every day. And that's an utter impossibility. We cannot rejoice every day if we are fixated on the reality of our circumstances, We've got to go beyond the reality of our circumstances. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our salvation. And that enables us to maintain our joy in the midst of the confusion and the chaos, to acknowledge his greatness and the greatness of what he's accomplished for our sake. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. And because of that, we can say, we shall not die, but we shall live, as it says in verse 17. We shall live forever and ever. Death has no hold on us. And sure enough, he quotes from Moses, the great Moses himself in verse 14. He is quoting from Moses who, what is Moses doing? Moses experienced the most glorious deliverance in his life. They have been brought out of Egypt, out of bondage to slavery to Egypt. And he is proclaiming God's excellencies and singing his praises. And we're called to do the same thing, to sing and rejoice in the Lord, our Savior, to give him thanks in all times because we serve and worship Jesus who is the victorious king. And that he grants us to share in that victory. Therefore, we can rejoice and be glad both this day and forevermore. Praise be to the Lord. Thank you for jumping into today's message. And we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you. And please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.